This week we are joined by Frédéric LeBlanc from Montreal, Quebec. Frédéric is currently a brand ambassador for Diageo's reserve portfolio. In our conversation with Frédéric, we discuss how she got her start in the industry as a bar back at a nightclub and eventually moved on to bartending. And now this led to a deeper love and appreciation of cocktails and spirits. We also talk about the importance of developing a healthy and positive relationship with alcohol, as well as her current responsibilities as a brand ambassador. As always, make sure you check out the links to the show notes. Enjoy this week's show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. I'm your host. With me is Dan, producer extraordinaire. What's happening? Uh, not much in my world. It's the uh, Groundhog Day like every day. Just get up, move from my bedroom to the office. <laughs> yeah, this is April 5th, so we've <laughs> moved in, as we're recording this, we've moved into yet another lockdown here in Ontario. So fantastic news for small businesses and bars and restaurants everywhere, as you can still go to Costco and... Walmart. Grind with the stranger in the aisle beside you, but you can't uh, sit comfortably outside, six feet apart or outside. Or yeah. inside. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. And like, I mean, all these businesses had just started hiring for the summer, for the patio weather. They had ordered patio furniture, ordered product to get them through what they thought was going to be a busy time. Now all that stuff's going to go to waste. They're back to laying all these people off. Meanwhile... Yeah, I can go to Yorkdale Mall and uh, <laughs> with no contact tracing. Yeah, that's and, correct. Or the yeah. outlet mall, yes. So, yeah, that's enough so, for anything about so this nothing's bullshit. changed in the last year, essentially. So. Oh, fucking, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Everybody's pretty much had it. And uh, somebody else who knows a little bit about this probably is our guest today, who we'll bring in shortly, mm-hmm. uh, Frederic LeBlanc from uh, Montreal. So another place that's going through a lockdown, I believe. Mm-hmm. As always, the best way to support the show would be to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. And uh, if you want to be on the show, just DM us at the industry podcast. And as always, thanks to Zach Hanna for the great artwork at Zach Hanna design. Check him out. Correct. And as always, the links to Zach's uh, profile on Instagram are in the show notes, as well as to links to anything we talk about today in the podcast as well. All right. Well, let's uh, stop fucking around here and bring in Frederic <laughs> LeBlanc. How are you, Frederic? Thanks for doing the show. Yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm well. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, let's start talking right away about uh, what's going on with COVID in Montreal. You guys are also in a lockdown, as I understand. It's going tragic. Um, Yes, we are in the lockdown since uh, October 1st uh, when it comes to restaurants and bar. We've been between that and the complete lockdown at some point in January. And now stores are reopening, but there's nothing happening with bars and restaurants. Yeah, they told us 1st of October 2020 that we would be in lockdown for 28 days. And still now, April 5th. Uh, oh, so I haven't been in the bar for six months. I'm going oh. But yeah, I have high hopes for the summer. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, we're, we're sort of in the point now where uh, like people are giving up hope here in Ontario because it seems like every time you get a little momentum, they let us open up for a little bit. They increase the capacity to 50. So everybody's hiring people. And then two, uh, two, two weeks later, two yeah. weeks later, straight into another lockdown. Like there's no plan here. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. And then you have to buy all the food, all the fruits, everything that you need for the bar, for the restaurant, for the kitchen. And then you're just losing all of that. I don't know how many hours you guys have between the moment they shut it down and the moment it's actually happening. But here we have like 24 hours. It's yeah, not that's a, the same. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. And then have to sell everything they, they just bought. And anyway, they, they, they don't understand the reality. But yeah. Yeah. So where were you working right before this lockdown happened? 
I got super lucky, actually. I was working for Bella Vita, which is a food and pork company in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And I was just a, a sale rep for them. And then February 24, 2020, I changed to work for Breakthrough and Diageo, uh, which is my current job right now. And I absolutely loved it. It was kind of a dream job. I was so excited. And then three weeks later, everything shut down. Um, But I didn't lose my job. So I still have my job since February last year. So I'm super lucky about that. Can't complain. But it's it's been challenging to be efficient and and creative in that job and to have an impact on on the market, actually. Uh, Mm. Way more of a challenge than I expected when I had the job. But I mean, no complaint. Yeah. So what is your best method for sort of promoting the product now? It's kind of like social media. Yeah, social media is a big part. It was already part of the of the deal when I got hired. So even though if restaurants and bars are opening, we still need to be present on, on social media. But thank God we have that because it keeps me busy yeah. and it keeps me creative. Doesn't really have that much of an impact. I think so, but at, at what point, I don't know. So sometimes there's days where I feel useless. And it is very, it is not the best days, but again, one day at a time. And I can't wait to go back to see my friends from the industry and do those masterclass with so many people and do tasting and actually have people trying the products and exchange with them about it. Because I feel like social media can can sometimes feel like a one-way direct like conversation, actually. Yeah, for sure. People engage with the, the content. It's not as much as if you have like a one-on-one discussion or again, a masterclass. So I do miss that a lot. Well, if it makes you feel better, even pre-COVID as a bar owner, there were plenty of days I felt useless. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's just a part of the daily grind. Let's talk a little bit about, I wanted to, so you're, you're an ambassador for Diageo, but you're specifically an ambassador for Diageo Reserve. Is that correct? Exactly, yeah. So what's the difference there? What's the Diageo Reserve as opposed to just regular Diageo? So Diageo have a very, very big portfolio, and mm-hmm. I really concentrate on the the reserve brands and the reserve brands are the the cocktail brands or the high-end brands Um, so let's say Diageo have Tinkery as a brand but I do work with Tinkery 10 as part of the reserve portfolio same thing with Johnny Walker let's say they have Johnny Walker red and etc but I do work with Johnny Walker black as the principal Johnny Walker for my portfolio so it's a little bit more of the high-end I have Zacapa in my portfolio but I don't have Captain Morgan Um, that would be the main difference It's, it's just like it's a part of their portfolio that is a little bit more high-end or cocktail focus uh, a little bit more. So, so that's the main difference. So imagining a world where we are allowed to leave our homes again and go to bars, what are you doing when you're going to like a bar or restaurant as an ambassador for Diageo Reserve? Uh, drinks are on me. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 we got to open these fucking bars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I like a main part of my job is is educate. So educate the bartenders, uh, the guests as well, but mainly the bartenders on the products. And it's my favorite part of the job as well. So if I usually when I walk in a bar, it's for a meeting or something like that. But if I just walk into a new account, what I love to do is sit at the bar. And if the bartender is not very busy, then I get to connect with that person. And again, if that person is drinking tonight, then well, maybe I'm a shot of bullet, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I'll be just there talking about bullet and be like, you know how much rye there is in that bourbon. It's so delicious, so spicy. And and I just introduce myself that way. Um, okay. Build a relationship with the bar, and after that, I organize masterclass because the idea is to make sure that the brands are shining in my account, but also that the bartenders know what they're talking about and that they're comfortable with the brand, so they're comfortable selling it to to a guest. So if a guest walk in, they ask for an old fashioned. They're like, "Can I suggest you having it with bullet? It's super spicy. It's delicious, full of rice." So once they know that, they're going to be comfortable selling it. So that's going to have an impact for 
So that's one part of my of my job. I also need to make sure that the consumer, the guests, they taste the product. So sometimes I'm just going to buy a round of Don Julio Margarita for everybody. And that's right. also a very good part of the job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah popular. So... I can imagine that like working specifically within the, under the reserve side of the Diageo kind of makes your job a little easier as far as product knowledge. You're focused on a smaller amount of brands because like you said, Diageo is a massive portfolio, right? So uh, when you can concentrate on like sort of the, the more upscale brands in the portfolio, there's obviously less of them. Does that make things easier for you? Yes, I would say yes and no. Yes, because the brands are delicious and people like them most of the time because I have high-end products and I don't really have to defend my products a lot. Um, right. If I was selling, if we if we stay in the, the Diageo portfolio, if I was selling Captain Morgan or Smirnoff, sometimes you need to defend your products because people might think few things about that product. They think maybe it's cheap, maybe it's not good. Um, and you have a little bit more education to do on, on products that are like that. They're very, very good. Again, it's not bad products, but it's more of a challenge sometimes. And I'm lucky enough to have an amazing portfolio. Portfolio. Mm-hmm. What I need, what I'm challenged with is I have very mainstream uh, brands. So to be 100% honest with you, when I started to work for Diageo, I wasn't very excited about Ciroc um, in Ciroc reserve portfolio. And it was not a vodka that I used to see in cocktail bars a lot. And I used to, I have a big cocktail bar background and it's the kind of brands that I would see in clubs and bottle service and stuff like that. So I wasn't very excited about it. And then I started doing my research and, and studied the brand and I fell in love with it. I love it now. I Now that I know what it is. So there's some education to do with some of my products in the portfolio. And Ciroc is one of them. When I, I start talking about it with passion and I'm like, it's it's amazing. They have like five distillation. They have that whole process. It's super interesting. Then people are into the brand. But there's some people that I need to convince that it's that it's good and it's not just a party brand. It's mm-hmm. way more than that. So Johnny Walker is the same thing. People think it's so mainstream and it's a blend and it's not really interesting, but it's fascinating as a brand. And I wouldn't tell you that a year and a half ago because I didn't know that. And I'm, I'm a big whiskey person and I was the same. I was like, Johnny Walker is kind of mainstream. But once you know the brand, you fall in love with it. And that's that's a part of my job that I really, really like. It's to change people's minds on a few products. That's That's the best part. I'm glad you brought up Johnny Walker because we uh, like I used to feel the same way about Johnny Walker. It's kind of like what you get when you're on the airplane if you like to drink scotch. But uh, we actually had an ambassador for Johnny Walker come to a bar I owned years ago, and it really turned my mind around about that product. The that scotch is delicious. Like I'm not as much into the red, obviously, but Johnny Walker Green. Love it. Well, I can see it over your shoulder. So it reminded me of it. But that is some good stuff. Uh, And the platinum one, oh, also amazing. I, I know I, I didn't really took the time before working for Diageo to, to try these products because I didn't know anything about them. But since they were mainstream, I thought I knew, which wasn't true. Yeah. At all. I didn't mm-hmm. take the time to actually taste them and to, to get some knowledge about it. And yeah, yeah, so I, I love that you're saying that. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Yeah, it's, it's good. To, and it's nice to, like you said, to get to maybe turn people's minds around a little bit about some of these products that they think they're already familiar with because they're popular. I wanted to talk a little bit about your background as well. You mentioned that you had a lot of history with cocktail bars in the city. And so let's let's back up a little bit. You got when you got started in the industry, you were working at a bar called I'm going to butcher this Dacha. Yeah, oh, I, I nailed it. See, I'm, telling you, I'm, I'm fucking getting this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was and this is a Russian bar in Montreal. Exactly. Yeah. So I started there when I was 18. So if we're even going back from that is when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I was very, very young. I love to do all of these 
like very fancy and over the top hot chocolate or jelly temple with my family. So every time they had like a celebration, like Christmas or Easter, like right now, we would have the family over and I would be in charge of the drinks, whatever drinks they were. Like I was, I was a kid and they, I'm pretty sure they were terrible now, but I loved it. So naturally when I turned 18, my parents gave me a bartending class, but I never worked in a restaurant before. I, I knew no one that worked in that industry before that. It was just for the creative way of drinks that I loved. And they, they gave me that. And I was super excited, took the class, fell in love with it. Absolutely in love with it. Cause at, I'm a very creative person. I've always been very, very artistic. And that was what I loved about cocktails. So it was not really about hospitality and working in a bar. It was more like doing, like create drinks. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I thought, oh, I have my little diploma of my 12 hours bar class or whatever. I can be a bartender now. Jeez, I was so wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I tried to find a job. That was not happening at all like never worked in a restaurant before wanted to be a bartender didn't want to like clean dishes or stuff like that mm-hmm. i had no idea what i was talking about so i think it was in june 2011 i was 18 and i was in a cocktail bar called b1 it's closed now but there's a um, i was just hanging out there with my friends and they were doing all of these cocktails they were having like flair bartenders at the time and i remember having like stars in my eyes and being like i love this place and there was a guy uh, sitting in the bar and he came talk to me. He's like, oh, yeah, the bartender challenged me to come talk to you. And I was like, OK. And at that point, he was kind of like hitting on me a little bit. I was like, oh, what a And I started to talk about cocktails and he was asking me what I was doing there. Like, I love cocktails. I just want to learn more about it. And he told me like, oh, that's funny. I'm opening a bar next October and we will be looking for bartenders and stuff like that. If you give me your number, I'll call you in and we'll do an interview. And I was like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually gave it to him. And little did I know, it was the start of a beautiful story. He didn't call me for anything else in the interview in October. So he actually called me a few months later. He was like, we're doing the interview. I remember meeting you in the bar. Do you want to do it? I'm like, sure. Yes. Perfect. And he hired me as a barback at Dacia when it opened. And I loved it. And he was the, the bar manager. His name is Simon. And he was my mentor as well. He was so big. He is still very, very talented, uh, amazing bartender. And he shared with me all of his knowledge, but mainly his passion. And we became great, great friends. And that was the beginning of the beautiful journey in the, the cocktail industry. Right. So, and probably a big eye opener for you at that point where you like move to from like making cool drinks at home for your family and shit. And then now you're behind, you're actually seeing what goes into the job of bartending as opposed to just like making pretty drinks, all the other things that go into it must have been a big eye opener for you. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it was uh, my first job as a bar back and I never worked that hard in my entire life, even after that. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved being a barback. I was in my zone and it was kind of a cocktail club. It was very like there was a dance floor. The music was super, super loud. It was pretty intense. And I was in my zone making sure ice, juice, dishes. I loved it. It was super efficient. Uh, but I still wanted to be a bartender. But then I started being a bartender. I was like, that's it. I'm making more money and that's what I'm doing. It, it made no sense. I mean, <laughs> not as hard at all as being a barback. I didn't understand at all. But yeah. So, so yeah. Like, I, I feel like the barback thing is like, because you're totally right. It's way harder work and it's way less money. But it's kind of like you're paying your dues thing to get to the point where you get to make the money. And also, in my experience of being a barback for a short period that I was as well, that it really does teach you efficiency and um, how to kind of sort of work cyclically in your brain about like, oh, you move from the ice to the fruit to making sure this is stuck to that. And you kind of develop a pattern of how things should be done. And that really can help you when you move to bartending as well. 
definitely. Yeah, to understand every position, actually, like being a server, a hostess, or a bar back, everything, like to, to do all of these positions is going to help you to be the best bartender you can be. All right. I mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, too. The, we both worked at a, a bar at the campus pub called the Bomb Shelter here in Waterloo, and they would make you work every single job before you got to bartender. And I was like, fuck, I'd already been bartending when I was lived when I was younger, living in a different city. Why do I have to, you know, be a barback or work, be a doorman? Like, and then you realize, well, actually, that's absolutely invaluable that all the experience, like learning every little corner of the bar and what everybody does to make it run efficiently is super valuable. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Okay. When you first started bartending, was it at Dacho or did you move to another bar? It was at Dacho, actually. So what happened is that a few months after the opening, a bartender uh, quit and there was a bar position uh, opening. And then Simon, the guy was telling you about that, that showed Mm. me everything. I think it was in the middle of the night, on a Friday night, I had like a hot, clean glass or like rack from the, the dishwasher in my hand. And he took it. He was like, I'll take it from here. You're behind the bar tonight. And it was like 10 p.m. It was oh, wow. <laughs> I never did that before. And he was testing me, obviously. And I was so nervous. And then I started bartending and never stopped from there. It, was, it wasn't fun. I wouldn't say I loved it. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do like a pint of beer. I never did that before. It was like so much form in my beers. I just couldn't <laughs> do it. It was a total rush, but I loved it. And yeah, so I, I did Dacha and then after Cabinet, which is the, the little brother of Dacha on the other side. So it's, it's more of the cocktail part of Dacha because Dacha became more of a nightclub now. Oh, okay. We have the, the Cabinet on the side, uh, which was great. I opened the place for them as well. And then I, I did a lot of opening. And after that, I opened Spirit House that is my, now closed in Montreal. It was a concept from Toronto. And there I learned a lot about spirits. So when I worked at Dacha and Cabinet, they have a, a great collection. Even today, they have a, an amazing collection. But at the time, I had maybe three types of scotch, two types of bourbon, maybe three or four types of gin. So I, I knew those brands, but not a lot. And then when I moved to, to Spirit House to work there, they had over like 500 bottles behind the bar. So there I was like, oh, my God, there's so much to know. So that was great with Spirit House. And um, then after I did uh, Tiradito, which is a Peruvian bar, and Clock Room. Clock Room was the cocktail school for me, the cocktail university, an amazing experience I had at Clockroom, yeah. Yeah, describe Cloakroom a little bit for our listeners who maybe are not familiar with that place. It sounds pretty cool, a little bit, uh, and very high-end cocktailing. Definitely, yeah. So it's a, it's a very small speakeasy um, downtown Montreal. They have only 25 seats, and they don't have any cocktail menu. So you kind of have to know what you're doing when you're working there. You need to know what's a, a balanced cocktail. You need to know your classic. I feel like every bartender should know that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there it was very, very important. You cannot sit on a cocktail menu. You need to be creative. So how it works is that people, guests would come in, and then the bartender uh, will ask what kind of spirit they like, uh, what kind of drink they're looking for, maybe something more refreshing, more spirit forward. And then you're going to go with questions like, would you like something a little bit more herbal, floral, spicy, tropical on the berry side? So we have like maybe five questions to ask before knowing what our guests is going to be drinking. But the tricky thing is that it's not like you're not starting to work there and then just doing whatever you want. There is a way of thinking. So if you're having two different bartenders, but you're asking the same thing, you're going to have the same drink. So they're having maybe 200 cocktails on a list and everybody needs to learn them or to, to be familiar with them. So you're always going to get the same style, whatever bartender you're, you're having. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty interesting because sometimes you can walk in a bar and be like, oh, I'm not ordering a martini today like because it's not your bartender and whatever. But they're everybody was thinking the same way because because that's where they teach you and i really really like the style it that place gave me 
my bartending style, which is they, they're not working with a lot of syrups. They only had, I think, two types of syrup, which is the berry syrup and the simple syrup. That's it. And they have all of these kinds of tinctures where you can get your flavors from. And you use sugar and your liquor or your vermouth. You use simple syrup if you need to, but mainly from liquors and syrup. Uh, sorry, liquors and, and vermouth. So it was super interesting style of cocktail, and I kept that. Even today, that's still my style of cocktails. So I really, really liked it. I'm not going with 10 different ingredients. It's simple, it's well done, and it's fresh. So, yeah. Yeah, I, that's very much the style of cocktailing I'm into as well, because I really feel like there got to be a point in the industry where it, things were being overdone with syrups because it was like an easy fix to... A, co- a cocktail problem if you had it you know you're like okay well i don't know what this person exactly wants or i don't know what to do with it or how to invent one right now i'm a little stuck but oh i have lavender syrup or whatever let's just throw that in everything and and now all the cocktails like sort of cocktails all over the place started to taste very familiar like everything was just very syrup heavy flavored syrups flavored syrups and everything and i i'm really about this push to come back to like very simple ingredients keep it liquor based and kind of leave the syrups out of it as much as possible. So I, I'm assuming you agree with that? Absolutely, definitely. And they taught me so much about freshness as well. Like it's having something that's been freezed before. Like the, everything is on point. Everything is, is daily fresh. Even the ice program was amazing. They, they opened the bar without an ice machine. Um, they didn't think it would be so popular. So they now have an ice machine. They used to shake and stir with like clear ice cube that, we, that was hand cut. And then oh. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't think it would be that busy. Um, right. But they have an amazing ice machine now. And uh, But yeah, just the ice program. Like I cut ice so many times there and just making sure we have enough ice. And that's something that I didn't do before. And I didn't put that much importance to, to ice, which is such an important ingredient in, in your cocktail. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I learned everything about fitness and, and five-star service as well there. Super elegant. Uh, and the team is amazing as well. We were like six people team. Like it's, it's such a small family. You love it. So yeah. 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 Sounds like an awesome spot. So the, talk to me about the Peruvian Japanese restaurant. And uh, that's where you went after Cloakroom? Exactly. So I did the, the two at the same time, actually. Um, oh, okay. But but yeah, Tiradito is a, an amazing spot. They have the best ceviche in town. Oh my God, I'm craving one right now. I loved working there. Uh, the bar chef was uh, Val Chanio at the, at the time, and she is an amazing bartender. I learned so much from her, uh, especially when it comes to efficiency and technique. She won speed rack a few times. She's super fast. Uh, she is an amazing person as well. So I loved working there when it comes to um, efficiency. And it's also a it's a restaurant uh, more than a bar, and but people are all sitting around the kitchen and the bar. So you can only sit at the bar at this place. There's no table. So you might be served by the bartender if at your the bar station or sorry, the bar station, or you can be served by a cook if you're at uh, like the CVJ station, the fish station, actually. So it's, it's a pretty cool concept. I loved it. And again, it was another opening that I was doing. It, it was the same owner as Dacha and Kevin, and he reached out to see if I wanted to be part of the opening team. And I loved it. Definitely recommend it. Delicious. So what kind of cocktails are you making at a place like that that would fit with the cuisine? Oh, my God. I made so many Pisco Sour. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were absolutely delicious. Though. But, yeah, definitely Pisco-based. We had a lot of that. Tequila as well, rum as well. Something a little bit more on the tropical side, but still complex. We were also going with a little bit of Japanese ingredients, togoashi and, like, sesame oil and stuff like that. Like, we would, we would do, like, cocktail pairing, but... Nothing crazy like a tasting menu, but we would definitely be having that in mind. So yeah, I would say a little bit more on the tropical side, very different than than Clockroom. Obviously, they they had garnishes in these drinks. At Clockroom, <laughs> we don't do garnishes. So oh, not, not at all. 
No, no, like maybe a zest. Maybe yeah. if you feel very funky, you're going to have a zest at talk room. And it's, it's totally fine. I mean, I, I agree with that. But it was very different style. Oh, damn. I, that's my dream world where we don't have any garnishes. <laughs> I just like this is now that I've moved to owner brain. It's just like all the money I would save by not garnishing any of the cocktails. It sounds amazing. Obviously, your experience at Cloakroom, like you said, it was sort of cocktail university. Now you've really learned how to pair flavors and do it simply, not with just like shoving syrup in, as we were talking about before. So were you responsible for making any sort of a cocktail list at the next spot? At Teradito? Yeah. Not really. No, not no, there. Okay. So, but have you done that since? Yeah, making cocktail list. I did that at Kevin, actually. I was 19, and there's still some of my drinks on the menu to this day. I love it. I go there, I'm like, hey, I created that. Yeah, nice. I'm like, that's amazing. That's so cool. So, yeah, I did that a few times, uh, and I love it. And even right now with my job, I do that a lot, actually. It's really part of my day-to-day jobs. So I have some accounts. Actually, the rep will reach out to me, the rep from Diageo and Breakthrough. They have, I have this account. Can you create a cocktail list for them? Because some of their accounts, they're not cocktail bars. They're more like restaurant and they don't have a head bartender. And then I hired someone to do their cocktail list, but this is very pricey. And this is something that we offer with, with Breakthrough and Diageo. They'd be like, if you're going with our product, we're going to give you that cocktail list uh, made from me. So, so, and I love doing that. I mean, mm. waking up Monday morning, need to work, I need to do cocktail tests at home. I mean, there's yeah. more than that to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially. Yeah. So with, now you're, are you tailoring these, this, these lists to a specific bar or restaurant or is there like a standard one that you have? Because I know a lot of like a lot of times reps will come to one of my bars and they'll be like, oh, here's the or they'll email it to me or they'll have a list. But you can tell it's just the list that goes out to everybody. Not with me. So they do have those perfect serves that we have from the brands and they're going to be like easy cocktails to make at home at the bar they, they can do that if they want to but if they're reaching out to me it's going to be tailored for them so mm. if it's a, a french restaurant or if it's a brunch restaurant it's it's going to be made for them so and it depends on the the level of the bartender if they're telling me my bartender they it, it's mostly server the drinks together behind the bar during the shift make it very very easy then i can mm. do that or if it's just like oh i have bartender that's been doing that for years they're pretty good like you can you can do something a little bit more complicated. So like it's usually tailor-made and, um, and I work with the brands that they want to work with, uh, usually reserve obviously, but like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I have a meeting with them before, before creating the menu. I have a meeting like mid creation. So just giving them what I have so far, having some feedbacks and then a final meeting with the, the menu. And then I train the staff when it's not COVID obviously. Yeah, that sounds like a super fun part of your job. So we had a, a brand ambassador on re- recently, Aaron Mail, uh, who does um, Tia Maria and Disarono, and uh, he was saying that one of the big parts of his job is actually a like a, an endless amount of paperwork. Do you find the same in yours? I'd say yes, but I don't hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's it's mainly on the road. I would say it's when it's everything's seventy five percent on the road and and being out and talking about the brand and doing the fun stuff and maybe twenty percent of uh, paperwork. They're not the most exciting, but I mean, waking up, I I do them from home. I'm having my coffee. I'm having my poppy. I'm on my computer doing my expense report, listening to my music. I mean, it's not like it's an office job where I need to be somewhere dressing up and like it's. It's fine. To me, it's okay. Right. Uh, okay. Well, that's good to know then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about bars in Quebec in general, because I know you guys have to deal with, is it SAQ? Is, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. SAQ. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have LCBO here in Ontario and they're a pain in the ass, but I think, I feel like SAQ has a whole different array of complications. 
I mean, it's similar when when we're talking about pain in the ass. It's not an easy uh, business to work with. I, I would like, I would say that uh, everything is easy with SAQ. But the market here is is amazing when it comes to restaurant and bars and the industry is I fell in love with the industry more than with hospitality, as I was saying before. What was so surprising for me when I started to work in, in this industry in Montreal is that people are helping each other. And now I say that and it sounds so normal. But what I was doing before working in bars, I was selling plants at <laughs> my parents' <laughs> business. Uh, I did that for like seven years. They have a, a plant shop. And every time there was like a new plant shop opening, it was a threat. People were, were not happy about it. It was like, oh, no, like it's, it's bad other at all i wouldn't tell people to go there and see if they have that plant we don't have absolutely not but when i started working in bars i was surprised that i would send my guests to the bar across the, the street and being like oh go there they have that amazing beer and stuff and stuff and maybe if my ice machine would break i would go next door and ask them for ice and they would be happy to give it to me and that surprised me at first i was like and even between bartenders we're going to share our tricks our new knowledge and and we're going to share so much and i i really really loved it and in montreal we don't have a, a small market but we don't have a huge market um and everybody knows each other and everybody's helping out when it comes to social media or events or cartel competition i know if i'm doing a cartel competition i can reach out to so many people and they're going to help me win it even though if they're doing the competition if i'm asking a question i'm pretty sure they're going to answer and they're going to help right. um, that's the the spirit that we have here in montreal and i found it so beautiful i love it but yeah, yeah. uh yeah but but for specific struggles with saq are there, are there some examples you can give us it's not really saq but yeah well it is SAQ when it comes to some products that you can't find here and mm-hmm. we don't see the market that, that we see uh, when it comes to restaurants. And there's also all of that stamped part. So our bottles need to be stamped. So as a brand ambassador, if I need some bottles to bring to a restaurant and the bottles are not at SAQ Restauration, which is the SAQ for a restaurant, I need to go get them maybe 30 minutes away and then bring them to that SAQ, get them stamped and then bring them to the bar. I mean, oh. it's not the end of the world, but it's just annoying. That's a pain in the ass, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we still have those little sticker on our bottles to make sure that we can sell them. But this is not the SAQ, but it's more la moralité that we call. But here in Quebec, we cannot infuse any alcohol. So when there's an alcohol in a bottle, uh, you cannot change what's inside of it. And also we cannot, uh, and that's, that's absolutely tragic, we cannot sell bottled cocktail here. So uh, bars and restaurants, mainly bar, like cocktail bars that are not known for food or not known for takeout, uh, they were in trouble. They're, they're still in trouble. There's nothing we can do about selling alcohol that is that is bottled in a cocktail. So uh, it's only a SACU that can do that. Yeah, that recently changed for us here in Ontario. During the first lockdown, we were in the same boat where we couldn't um, do bottled cocktails either, which is like this crazy law from prohibition that shouldn't even exist anymore anyway. But like they've finally changed it. And my feeling is they're not going to really be able to put that genie back in the bottle because like, what are you going to do when we're back to normal in Ontario? Say, oh, well, now we actually don't think it is safe for you to sell bottled cocktails, right? Like, But I'm, I'm more interested in the... Um, Infusion, like you can't infuse? No, no, not alcohol. So it's um, like, let's say you have a bottle of Kettle One, there's no way you can put lavender in there and having like lavender vodka or something like that. There's no way. Even though you have two half bottles of Kettle One, you cannot combine them to have one fold. You cannot do that, uh, even though it's the same product. Um, so you cannot change what's inside a bottle whatsoever. And, uh, and we can do like batch cocktails or like cocktails on tap. They changed the rule, I think, two years ago, last year. Two years ago. I feel like the last year doesn't count. It doesn't. (laughs) They changed the rule. If you can batch a cocktail, so let's say you're you're doing sangria, 
Uh, mm -hmm. You can batch your sangria at the beginning of the shift, but if you didn't sell it, the entire sangria that you batch, by the end of the night, you need to throw it out. So that makes no sense. I mean, if you're having a keg of cocktail, I mean, you cannot like ensure that you're going to sell it all uh, in one night. So yeah, they, there's a way, I guess, to go around these rules, but rules are rules and, uh, and there's not, it's not something we can do here. Well, that could, it's funny. That can be limiting in one way, I feel like, well, when you're trying to make craft cocktails because so much can be done with infusions, but also in another way, it can be sort of liberating because now you know you really have to just work with the product as is. And that can like lead to sort of open up your creativity a little bit. I totally agree with you. There's a lot of people that saying that Montreal or our market are kind of late on other markets. If you're looking at New York or London or even Toronto, we're kind of late on it because of those rules. And I agree with you when it comes to uh, creativity. It just it leads you to a different side of creativity. You you can infuse, okay, well, well, we can do something else and then and then work with it. But it is too bad for everything that is like fat wash or infused or aged cocktails or stuff like that that we can't really do. And again, we'll, we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not supposed <laughs> to. Yeah. It would be great if we could really make our own bitters and really have tinctures that, that are legal and that it's not in that gray area. It's not a stress that we need. And yeah. So now that we're like out of bars right now, and we were mentioning earlier, a lot of your job is turned to like on social media, which uh, I mean, that's shitty, but it's also kind of another area where it kind of forces you to be creative in a certain way. Right. So you're, you're, I've noticed I went through your Instagram. You're also doing kind of classes on, on Instagram as well. Correct. Yeah, so I'm using my social media to educate as much as I can. I talk about cocktails, about the products, and I'm also doing some videos for SAQ staff about cocktails that they can do about our products. And sometimes I'm not feeling too awkward about it because I usually don't talk in my videos. Um, <laughs> I do them on, on Instagram. So um, it is a great platform to, to share knowledge for people that want to have it. But again, it doesn't have as much impact as a real masterclass or an event or a menu listing or stuff like that. So, but yeah, at least we have that. I mean, thank God. <laughs> and how did you get into like the whole brand ambassador thing to begin with? You started with St. Germain, is that right? Exactly. So I was working at Clock Room at the time and I got approached by Sam Trudeau. He is the, the brand ambassador for the Bacardi uh, portfolio. He's an amazing person. And he uh, he reached out to me and he was like, we're looking for someone for St. Germain part-time brand ambassador. I'm like, yes, that would be a great fit. I love St. Germain. I love yoga. That's great. Um, <laughs> so I got the job and I actually loved it, but it was only part-time. So I did that for a year and I loved it so much that I wanted to do full time. So that's why I quit uh, Clock Room and Saint Germain to go for Bella Vita. And it's again, I was a, a sell rep. Hate it. I hate being a sell rep. I'm so bad at selling, at sales in general. I'm such a bad person at that. So I don't have those skills. Yeah. So like the difference between like being a rep and being an ambassador is like with a rep, your job literally is to take your product to a bar and sell it to the to whatever the bartender the bar owner whoever whereas when you're an ambassador it's more like going and sort of preaching about the product exactly so being a brand ambassador it's again i can say that enough it's, it's really about educating and most of the time they already have the bottle on the shelf you just need to make sure that they know about it that they tasted it and that they love it to be honest it's the easy part of being a rep it's it's so easy i feel bad for the reps they're working so much harder than me but yeah being a rep i was so bad at, at selling i would have a product that i don't like i cannot be like oh this is delicious i would look at the bar owner whatever like tastes like shit right there's like, yeah, so like <laughs> I, I was so bad at it like i can't bullshit people i just can't do that and if i don't believe like there's no way i'm gonna sell it to you and i admire people that can do it like 
the, the good sell reps. I'm like, how do you do that? I love it. You can sell me something that I absolutely don't need and you're still going to make me buy it. I'm impressed. I don't have that talent. Right. Okay. So when you, the company that you were repping for though, they're a smaller distillery. Uh, no, it's not a distillery. It's really like an import company, a spirit import oh, company. Oh, okay. They work with big brands, actually, like delicious brands, like like Maison Ferrat with Plantation and Stadel. Those were amazing products with selling by itself. We had Nika, Japanese whiskey as well. That was oh, okay. to work with. So big brands uh, for, for a small company, actually. So mm-hmm. it's very, very fun. But the brands that you need to sell are usually the brands that are not selling by itself. So that's where the challenge is. So I wasn't really selling plantation rum. I mean, people already love it. I, I can educate on the brand, but what I was selling, it was like private import mint cream and, and stuff like that. I was like, do you want a case of six creme de menthe bottles? I was like, Ugh. Uh, That's the other thing with these smaller brands too, is like you always have to buy them. I'm speaking again from the owner side, so you always have to buy like a like a case of it. And it's like, fuck, I'll be lucky if I sell one bottle of this. So that makes the rep job, like I think, extremely hard. And I do think that for some of these smaller distillers, the best thing they can be doing is selling things one bottle at a time to places. Yeah, but it's in Quebec, we can't do that. Again, it's with private import, and then it has to go through SAQ, and then you have cases of six and cases of 12, and it's kind of complicated to have mixed cases. Or as a importer, you're going to be stuck with bottles. So you, And it's... It's more complicated than that. But if I could sell just one bottle, I would be happy to. It would make my job way easier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so since we've all been stuck at home, one of the things that we've ended up been talking a little bit more about on the show here is how mental health factors into the whole the whole service industry, like our mental health now that we're like not working and it's just like constant like reopening under certain restrictions and lock back down as well. But I feel like it's helped us to a little bit to delve deeper into how mental health affects us when we're actually in the bar working as well. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that and your feelings on that. Yeah, it is definitely a discussion to have. And I think that it's important to, to talk about mental health when it comes to alcohol consumption and, and being a bartender. Uh, when I started in the industry almost 10 years ago, it wasn't a subject that was sexy to talk about uh, wellness, and, and no ABV cocktail and low ABV. It was things that we weren't talking about. It wasn't even there yet. So it's something that I really saw last and I really, really liked it, what I saw. So yeah, at first when I, I worked in bars when I was a little bit younger, there was so much abuse on alcohol and drugs. And it was kind of cool at that time. Like, I, I don't want to say it, but it was like, you're being the party person, you're being the cool bartender, um, you're making sure that your guests are having an amazing time, but you're having an amazing time too. And then you realize that these people that were like that 10 years ago, they're not in the industry anymore. They, It wasn't working for them because it's not a, a, a healthy place to be. And it's a discussion again that, that we have now, and I feel like it's important in the relationship that you have with alcohol uh, needs to be healthy and and with pandemic and with COVID, i mean i hope everybody's doing well i'm reaching out to my friends from the industry but also my close friends to make sure that they're okay but you you never know but to talk about it more and more to make sure that people are comfortable talking about it there you can maybe maybe act or maybe do something about it Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like yeah i I guess the question is what is there to do about it's like the best thing just to lend an ear to these people and they need it or do you have some like tips that you can offer to people who are struggling with mental health, I know you're not. A, uh, in, I know you're not in the psychiatrist industry or anything like that. But like, in a way, all bartenders are, you know, dime store psychologists. So, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. The advice I can give you is that you need to talk about it. I have a friend that 
was an amazing bartender. He was so talented. And at some point he he got sad. And I realized that he had a, a bad relationship with alcohol at some point. And I was way younger than right now. And I remember not really doing anything about it. I wasn't judging either, but it was just, I would see him in a bar and he would be super wasted. And, and I was worried about him, but I was too shy or too uncomfortable to talk about this with him. I, I didn't want him to take it the wrong way, asking him like, are you okay with alcohol? Do you, do you feel like you need to stop? Can I help you with something? And I, I felt awkward talking about that because I didn't want that person to feel judged. And I realized with time that you're not killing the party to talk about it. You're not. Party is actually killing you if, if you're not talking about it. Mm. And, and to make sure that people around you are okay. I mean, it is cool to take a month off of alcohol. It is cool to take a night off of alcohol. And don't ask the person beside you why that person is not drinking. Just mm. And it's something that I see more and more, and people are starting to understand that. But a few years ago, if I wasn't drinking for a night, people would be like, are you on medication? Are you okay? You pregnant? Pregnant, yeah. <laughs> then, no, maybe I just need a break. Maybe I just need to, to focus on something a little bit more healthy. And also another advice that I can give to people is just to ask themselves why they are drinking and to make sure that the reason they're drinking is because they enjoy it and because they want to have fun and because it's social. These are a good reason to drink. Bad reason to drink is because you want to forget, because you don't want to feel anything, because you want to sleep. And I'm part of these people. And I, I've been drinking for those reasons before and, and it wasn't healthy at all. So I talk about it knowing what it is. I, I've been through that. So it's not being like, oh, it's all flowers and butterflies like I look usually. Uh, I mean, I've been through to depression and to drinking way more than I should. So now I'm comfortable talking about it because I've been through it. And I feel like, yeah, that would be my advice. Like, don't be shy to talk about it. It's cool to ask your chef or your head bartender or your colleague if they're okay and if they have a good relationship with alcohol right now and if they need anything. Yeah, well, I think you're right. And I, I, I agree with you. There's still a lot of work to be done. But I will say this, like, I do feel like there's such a culture around drinking and drugs and partying in our industry but I feel like even in my time in the industry, I've seen that sort of shift in a more positive direction where like when I first started bartending, there was nobody I worked with who didn't drink. And I remember I remember like specifically the first guy who I worked with was like, oh, I don't drink. And I'm like, what are you doing bartending? Like I could it didn't make sense to me. Right. And then now, like I work with I've worked with, you know, like probably 100 people who just have decided not to drink anymore. And it's it's becoming definitely more of a prevalent thing in our industry. And that's a good thing. Definitely. The idea is to, it's to find the right balance for you. And if the right balance is not to drink, then then go for it. Yeah, it's all about balance. And I feel like bars, cocktail bars especially, are more and more inclusive with people that don't drink uh, when it comes to their menu. They have that blue ABV category and they have that no ABV category now with interesting cocktails, not just seven up with a splash of lemon juice, delicious. <laughs> no, they yeah. actually have like not alcoholic spirit mixing with homemade syrup or homemade ginger beer or homemade something that it's fresh and that it's delicious. And and that looks like a cocktail as well. So you don't want to be the person at the table with that thing that looks like juice and tastes like juice. You, you mm -hmm. want to be part of the group and you want to drink something that is sophisticated. And I, I actually don't mind like paying the same price for a no ABV cocktail than for a cocktail if it if it has the same amount of work behind it. I mean, I'm totally okay with that. This is the part that we still need to educate some consumer about. There's people that I feel that it makes no sense that a, a cocktail with alcohol in a cocktail without alcohol would pay would cause the same price. So if you're looking at the ingredients, the cost is the same for for the establishment. Mm -hmm. so that I'm okay with that, but I know that there is still uh, some education to do about that. Well, yeah, and I but I think it's improving a lot. Like the whole notion of like low ABV or mocktails 
now, it, like it wasn't really a thing even a little while ago. But I think like the fact that this is becoming more prevalent in bars everywhere is great for the whole industry, for the guest and for the bartender, for the owner, for everybody. Because if you're the guest, you do feel like you're part of the party still because you got like a nice, well put together cocktail in front of you. But it just doesn't have alcohol in it. And then for the bartender, it's like you're not feeling like, oh, this fucker's taking up a seat and he's just going to drink soda water all night, blah, blah. And, and it's almost like somebody is maybe he's just driving that night right but automatically there was this idea for the bartender where it's like that's a negative thing that person's just gonna drink a soda water or whatever and well now you're crafting them a drink so you feel like you're doing the work but also that you're charging them for it so they're not just taking up a seat and not spending money yeah exactly so it's a it's a win-win situation i mean as a consumer i'm super happy to have something that it tastes delicious that doesn't taste just like juice which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the bartender can still be very creative. And here in Quebec, we have so many new no-alcoholic uh, spirits that it's on the shelf now. It's it's booming. It's very, very fun. I still go with Seedlip. I love it. I think they're um, the, the leader in the category, but I feel like the, if the category is doing well, then everybody's doing well. Um, yeah. So I'm very happy to see all of these no-alcoholic gin and, and everything going on the shelves. It's pretty cool. I agree with you. Seedlip is like definitely a, uh, it's, it's an, um, that's an unbelievable product. Love, love the brand and I'm working with uh, the brand ambassador here in Montreal. His name is Max and he's doing amazing and we're doing so many collaboration because there's some of our products that work so well with C-Lip and we want to give that that option to, to bartenders and to people that we work with if they want an alcoholic, non-alcoholic cocktail. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's fun to work together. Okay, we're going to let you go soon, um, but I would I just wanted to get uh, like while we have you here and you are the Diageo Reserve ambassador, tell us what is, give us your top three favorite Diageo Reserve products. Ooh, hard. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know if you thought this thing was going to be fucking easy, Frederico. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I thought it was just an aperol. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, I think as I was telling before, I really fell in love with Johnny Walker. Uh, that would be my top one. And I, yeah, I wouldn't believe I would say that a year and a half after. And then I'm just like, you know what? I love Jenny Walker. I think they're doing amazing. And I'm very fascinated about it. And I'm still learning about that brand, even a year after working with it, just going like deeper and deeper into archives. And it's, it's fascinating. So Johnny Walker was Yeah, a lot of history um, of that brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, Don Julio. I mean, I yeah. love tequila and Don Julio is an amazing one. So with them and i love the history behind it as well and all the process and we were supposed to go visit them visit mexico and visit san julio uh, this COVID happened it's uh, tragic so yeah. fingers crossed that i'm going to visit them at some point and third one i'm kind of in between talisker and lagavulin again i'm a, I'm a big scotch person i want to say talisker mm. yeah I'm going to go with Talisker because I love oysters. Oysters are my favorite. I could eat oysters every day. And it's such a great pairing. So, yeah, I would go with Talisker. All right. Well, I, I'll disagree with you. I would go with Lagavulin there, but I don't eat oysters. So maybe that's what it's all about. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much, Frederic. This was a super fun conversation. And best of luck to you. Hopefully we all get back to normal and you can be back out in the bars educating people like you want to be doing instead of just having to use your social media, which is also everybody should check out uh, Frederic's um, Instagram page because there's lots of educational and stuff on there. And also, like, your page is beautiful. Like, I don't know who's filming it for or whatever but you're doing a really good job like all the uh, posts and the videos look amazing well thank thank you so much yeah follow me on instagram i do everything myself i love it keeps me busy and yeah thank you so much for having me that was amazing okay thanks again have a great evening bye